exploring faith journeys and hearing inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God, you are listening to The Cumberland Road. I'm your host, TJ Melanoski. Today's guest is Reverend Christy Lunsbury, the Director of Congregational Ministries for the Cumberland Presbyterian Denomination. In our conversation, we talk about Christy making a profession of faith at the age of seven and growing up in rural Iowa. It is there where she found a congregation that embraced her family and cultivated a spiritual life. Christy shares how life challenges help her to rely on God more and to dig deeper to find that connection. She shares what it is like assisting congregations and helping them discover their identity and their purpose and their ministry through the Engage process. You are listening to the Cumberland Road Podcast, and here is my conversation with Christy Lunsbury. Christy Lunsbury. Thank you for joining me on the Cumberland Road podcast. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. You are the director of congregational ministries for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Yes. Detail, detail what that is. Well, that's a good question because every day it's a little different what I do. <laughs> um, it's a supportive role for congregations and for other staff members, because congregational ministry, it encompasses a little bit of everything. Like specifically right now, I'm working on Engage, which is a a new program that has been developed along with our DMT member, Christopher Fleming. And that is something that we go to the congregations and help them in a process that discerns where they should go, where they are currently, and how we might be able to provide resources for them. And that's that's just one thing. Um, you never know what may come up as far as other things. We have convention planning. We have a mission trip in the works, uh, working with our different ministry partners. Choctaw Presbyteries, another area that I work with quite often helping them with some leadership abilities and some restoration projects, things like that. So it, it varies. Um, I get phone calls almost daily about churches that need a new pastor. And we help with that through leadership referral services. Pam Phillips Burke and I work on that in tandem. And so it's, it's a little bit of everything. This position for many years was part-time. But then um, about three and a half years ago, the ministry council decided to expand this position. And so it's been a growing position and it's constantly evolving. Um, so I do a little bit of everything. All right. Let's uh, let's have a thought experiment. I'm a member of a local congregation and 
I hear that the denomination has a director of congregational ministries. And I don't know what needs our church, my local church has. I just know that it needs something. How can the director of congregational ministries help my local church? Well, I get calls like that quite often of folks in a situation where their church is dwindling in numbers, but not spirit. And they want to change to grow both numerically and spiritually. And so we kind of have a a time of conversation, asking a lot of questions to to kind of understand the history if I'm not familiar with the church. And there's a lot of them that I'm not familiar with. So we talk and we visit. And then um, that's where Engage can really come into play. We can come and visit your church. We ask a lot of um, pertinent questions. Some people might think they're nosy, but it's to get a good picture of the congregation and just to find out where they are. And based on that, we can help with the different resources that the denomination offers from elder training to um, motivation, youth directors, you just name it. And um, we probably have an avenue to help a, a congregation with the different services. So when we get those phone calls, we um, try to just evaluate as much as we can and help and um, encourage a congregation through the various ways that we have available. You have been talking about Engage, and it is a discernment process for that local congregation. What kind of give a picture of what that may look like when you and a local congregation are working together. Okay. Um, So recently I traveled to the Little Rock area and actually worked with two different churches. And ideally it's kind of a, the first time that we meet, it's a weekend event. We started out on Friday evening, just introducing the program in general and talking with the two churches, kind of just giving an overview of things. And then the next day, we actually visited with each individual church and we brought them through a lot of questions, um, everything from the demographics of, you know, the age of the congregation, the area that they live in. And through those questions, we are able to help the congregation discern what their specific gifts and talents are within that congregation and how they fit into the community that they're serving. And so, for example, with with these two churches, we were able to, to realize that one of the churches just doesn't have their name out there, that they're not visible within the community. And ironically, the, the church that was planted several years ago, none of the people that belong to that church live in that area. And so we have to look at new ways that those who attend can invest in that community. And so we, we followed through with that after learning so much about the, the congregation. And it's an opportunity for them to learn as well. And 
some of the questions that they that they get asked, they're they're very surprised at the answers that come from one another. And this particular group, we worked with the elders primarily, and we were able to really help them have a new vision for the church um, to encourage them and support them in different ways of bringing about awareness to their ministry. And so then on Sunday, we were able to worship with the two churches and kind of have a, a closing time. We spent this initial week, uh, excuse me, weekend, about eight hours with each church um, individually um, and collectively. And, and this is just the start. Um, the, the wonderful thing is that, that we start out with discovery and that's discovering the church, discovering the area. And then we move into that discernment process and the discernment process can be a, a day. It could be several weeks because we ask the church to, to do some Bible study and, and truly reflect upon what we've talked about. And then um, we, we move from there to support them in, in what they decide to do. And we continue to follow up with them and use that time to discuss and, and different things and discover for them. And these, this process of engage, it, it moves back and forth between different areas and different steps. Um, there's constant discovery, constant discernment, constant discussion, that kind of thing. And as the director of congregational ministries, then of course, it's it's my responsibility to support this congregation as they continue to move forward um, in their ministry and hopefully growing not only spiritually, but numerically as well. Mm. And Engage is a relatively new offering within the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And so it's just a couple years old, right? Two, three years old. Yes. Um, we... Chris Fleming and I, uh, when we were hired, were um, given a task by the ministry council to develop a program that was primarily for our smaller rural churches. But what we found is that um, as we began our own discernment process and discovery process, that it was more than that, that, that the congregations needed more. Um, and so through the last couple of years, we truly have been evolving the program into a process. Um, we had a, a former name for it. We've changed the name. Um, it was CARE originally, which sounds like we are putting our churches to sleep or to rest. And we didn't like that concept. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, a hospice, you know, when you, when you think about CARE, and so we were given the name Engage, and it, it's so much more appropriate for, for what we're doing because we want the congregations to engage in ministry. We want them to look within so that they can look outside of their uh, four walls of their church so that they can go and do ministry in the community and be relevant. And so it's, it has been a process for us as well. Um, thinking it was a program and ended up it's becoming a process that we can work with any kind of church, um, not just a small church, but yes, it is continually evolving. And the unique thing about Engage is that 
each church's experience and the people within the congregation will have a different experience every time. There's some basic information available that we use as a skeleton um, for our process. But then when we actually engage with a church, their process will be different from someone else. And we, we saw that recently with the churches in the Little Rock area. Two different churches, two different outcomes, and just different um, different ways to, to do ministry. We can come back to engage. I think we will later in the conversation. You bet. But I want to talk about, Christy, you haven't always been the director of congregational ministries. You've served congregations in Tennessee, in Mississippi, in Texas. Your relationship with God, your relationship and profession of faith with Jesus Christ Let's go back to that time, and and do you remember, and what was that like for you, and is that the turning point that kind of led you to where you are today? Well, going way back in time, hmm. <laughs> um, I wasn't, um, my parents weren't involved in church when I was born, and we lived about five miles from a very rural church in Iowa. That's Cumberland Presbyterian. It's the only one that is, is left in the state. And we had a wonderful um, family that was in the community there. My, it's a farming community that kind of adopted my parents. Uh, they were young and um, had two small children. And, and so they wanted to invite us to Sunday school and to Bible school and, and things like that. And, um, so I still remember the first time that I went to the Shiner Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I was five, I think, <laughs> and it was a Bible school. And our neighbor um, brought me to Bible school, and I knew that it was a place that I belonged. And before long, I don't remember all of the details, but my parents had joined the church, and my brother and I went through a kind of a, a confirmation class um, with Reverend W.O. Talley. And he had served our church, I believe, like 11 years. And he's the first pastor that I remember. And, and the things that I remember about him are not the standing in the pulpit. The things that I remember were him coming to our place and playing softball and playing catch with us. And and doing things that someone of that age didn't think a pastor could do, you know, um, <laughs> it's it's kind of funny to to look back on that perspective. But as as we as we engaged literally in that congregation, and and I remember being baptized um, because I wasn't baptized as a, a child or as an infant. I was seven and had joined the church and was baptized and made my own profession of faith. And um, I remember that that experience and this church, a small little country church that realistically probably had about 40 members. Um, it seemed so much larger as a as a child, but they they embraced us as a family, as they did so many others and truly cultivated 
that learning um, within my my spiritual life. And we had um, Marilee Watkins, who is Robert Watkins, his mother, was a Sunday school teacher for me. And I still have the Bible that was um, from 1979 that she challenged us to learn the books of the Bible in order. And I liked challenges, still do. Um, and she challenged us and I had a memory memorized by the next week. And she said, I haven't even ordered the Bible. But eventually um, I got to stand before the congregation and recite the the books of the Bible and was awarded a Bible. And that that kind of thing, there were so many different people that were so inspirational um, in my faith journey. I knew when I was eight or nine that I was going to go to Bethel um, for my education. And that was because way back then, the Bethel Balladeers came to visit this little tiny church in Iowa. And I knew that I wanted to have a connection with the children's home because James Gilbert came to visit us as well and um, that kind of thing. Just to uh, interrupt you for a moment. So uh, for context, so Bethel is Bethel College, now University, and Children's Home is a Cumberland Presbyterian Children's Home in Denton, Texas. And so yes. at a young age, you you were exposed to these uh, connectional aspect of this denomination, Cumberland Presbyterian denomination, that came to your little rural setting in Iowa and exposed yes. you to to other people of faith. Yes. Um, you know, these people were celebrities to me um, because who would come to a little church in Iowa and when um, Robert Watkins was in the mission field and he's Bobby to me and um, because his parents were there and Bobby would come home to tell us about his mission work in Columbia. And it was really a, a wonderful experience to know the, the connectionalism within the church. Learned it from a very young age and it had a huge impact on me. So it, I think that's so important for, for now. Um, and because of that connectionalism, I realized, you know, that we were a global church back then, maybe not as big, but, you know, we always have been. And that's just connectionalism is, is one of our, our positives. You mentioned earlier that you enjoy challenges, life challenges come across to us and and thinking of some of your life challenges is there one that you would like to share and how has your faith spoken to that life challenge oh golly a life challenge i think um you know the biggest challenge was when i first felt called to the ministry because I'm, I'm telling kind of my age, it was, it's 30 years in May that I've been ordained and 30 years, a lot has changed. Um, back then my process to ordination was not easy. Um, I was challenged by members of the committee on ministry as to why I would be, uh, someone 
called to ministry and and that call was questioned many times to where I had to define it um and it was you know now it's a, I think it's a little bit different it's not changed totally but even when I was recommended for um, ordination originally there was a, a clause on it um with reservation and you know I think those who are called to ministry do have a challenge because not only do most of us not feel worthy of being called to ministry. So you have that challenge yourself, but then when others challenge that call as well, um, it makes it for a difficult road to begin with. And, um, but, you know, challenges are to be overcome and that's exactly, um, what I feel like I've done over the last 30 years is overcome that challenge and, and hopefully in some way or another, um, respond to that challenge to show that, yes, God did call me to ministry. And, um, I'm hoping that I'm, I'm serving the, the denomination and more importantly, I'm serving God to the best of my ability. Do you think that challenge came from being a woman age and the gifts. I I do. I think it was all of those. Um, I was young. I mean, I was still at, at Bethel. I was in my first year. Mm. And, you know, a lot of people, ministry is their second career. Um, they, they go ahead and establish themselves ahead of time. Um, and then they go to seminary. And I, I do think being a female 30 years ago, that was, there, there wasn't a lot of female ministers, um, there was a handful. And now we've got like 150 something, I believe, um, on our roles. And that's, that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. And so I do think so. And even then it was like, well, you'll never be a pastor in a, in a congregation, even if you have the gifts. And obviously that changed over the years. And, um, but I do think sometimes instead of us embracing one another with our special gifts that we have that can make the kingdom of God better um, with our ministry, I don't know if it's a a jealousy or if it's um, what it is, but instead of embracing our gifts, we tear each other apart um, or we are critical of one another and we question one another. And, and that's difficult. Ministry is difficult enough. Um, we, we need to be celebrating one another and, and not competing with one another. Mm. Looking back during those dark times, those dark challenges, I'm calling it that you, you didn't. <laughs> um, thinking back, how did your faith encourage you? How did it speak to you um, when you're going through this process with other Christians and, you know, there's, um, apprehension, there's, there's a hesitancy to help you along in, in that journey and help you along in that path towards ordination. How did your faith speak to that? You know, what prevented you from just going, I've had enough and I'm not going to pursue the ministry anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and there were times that, that actually, I really truly did feel that way, but I think it's, I think it's when we have those challenges in life that we rely more on God and we dig deeper to find that connection with God. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you have to rely on your faith in those tough times. And I question sometimes if, if I didn't have faith, where would I be? And I think knowing that God is in charge of my life, that I do my best to hear that still small voice um, that leads and directs me. And during those, those dark times, as, as you put it, those, that still small voice was always there. And, you know, I think of the Psalms, uh, be still and know that I am God. And I think so many times that if we just take that time to sit and listen, when we're in the middle of the highs and lows, um, God will direct us through those challenges. And it just, for me, it just deepens my faith and it, it kind of gives me that extra um, kick, I guess you would say, um, to just face those challenges and and continue on. So not to harp on challenges, but uh, (laughs) I asked a guest last week, Mitchell Walker, about clergy burnout and, you know, the reality of, of that, you know, over the last two years. Mm -hmm. And um, so Christy, what are you doing to help keep healthy and mentally, physically, spiritually? Well, I think first off, self-care for everyone is really, really important, right? Especially right now with the the pandemic, Um, everyone has been affected by it. And for me, staying spiritually and mentally healthy has been much easier than being physically healthy. Um, (laughs) What is it they call it? The... um, pandemic 19 or something like that. Um, it's, you know, instead of the freshman 15, it's the pandemic 19 or something like that anyway. (laughs) But, um, so when I, when I lived, this is a little bit of a backstory for you growing up living on a farm, as soon as you're old enough um, to do something, you do it, you, you have your role in things. And so as my parents and my brother were out on the tractor farming, I was the one working in the yard and um, helping with that kind of stuff and and doing those things. And so that has followed me throughout my adult years. And so for me, working in the yard, mowing, um, gardening, things like that, that's when I am able to do a lot of my spiritual and emotional due diligence, let's call it that, um, so that I can dig deeper in faith. And yes, there is a pun there. Um, <laughs> it's, it's during that time, um, you know, when, when people say, oh, I don't want to go mow the yard. Well, for me sitting on that mower, I'm able to think and pray and, and plan. And it's, it's that time of healing for me. And so being outside helps me with that part of it besides you get the sunshine and, and things like that. But I also do, um, when I do gardening, I grow my own plants from seeds. And to me, that's a spiritual process. Um, that sounds kind of weird, but you can equate it to somebody's faith because to grow in our faith, we have to be fed the right way, um, right from the start. And in order for these plants to produce some kind of fruit, that plant has to reach a certain maturity level. And 
so likewise, in, a, in order for our faith to be productive, um, we have to mature too. And so for me, watching these plants grow and, and being able to, to see this, it's a spiritual process for me. And, and it helps me realize that God is truly in the littlest of things, um, from a seed blossoming into a full-grown tomato, um, things like that. And so that's, I do things like that. Um, I enjoy just reading devotionals and different things. I am, I pray and I discern a lot for my own life and for, for hopefully the future of the church as well as being in a, a leadership position. And then I just like to capture God's beauty on, on camera as well. I'm, I'm big into photography and can take different things and turn it into a spiritual experience by having um, pictures of God's beauty. So that's, that's kind of what I do for fun. If that's fun for others. So So physical labor, (laughs) manual labor, photography, (laughs) Yes, hard work. It's it's the Midwest <laughs> farmer's daughter coming out in me. Um, can't help it, but it was instilled at me at a, a young age to work hard and to to do it well. Those keep you centered in your relationship. Um, I like asking most of the guests, uh, in terms of their relationship with God, is experiencing and finding the presence of God in your life today. How would you articulate that? What does that look like for you? Oh, wow. Um, God is ever present in my life. Um, I, I truly do my best to, to listen to God speak to me. Um, it's not necessarily this big booming voice or anything like that, but I see God in just about everything. And it's having the right focus and, and centering my life around God instead of fitting God in when it's convenient. And obviously it helps being in a, in a position where you're doing uh, work for the church each and every day. But it's so much more than that. Um, even if I if I wasn't in the work that I'm doing, God is the focal point in my life. And, and I look back in history um, for my own life, and I see that throughout time. Um, I've made decisions throughout my life based on what I feel God wanted me to do. And just keeping that as a focal point. Um, it doesn't mean that it's not a time that we aren't challenged by those, um, you know, by the world regarding keeping God in our, in our lives, but it's, it's that focal point that God is ever present. And that's, that's what I have to remember during any time in my life, the good and the bad and the ugly, you know, that that's just the way it is. So, <laughs> If somebody wasn't faith connected and, you know, they were listening to our conversation and our God speak, you know, and our vernaculars and things like that, um, how do we make a difference between, you know, the voice of our conscience 
and maybe the voice of God. Um, because other guests have shared that as well, you know, being in tune with God and, and listening for the voice. But how do I tell the difference between, you know, well, maybe this is what I want. <laughs> and, and, and maybe, I, maybe this is what God wants. And so I don't know, how would we share that with somebody who's, you know, just has doubts or it's just not faith connected at all. And they were to listen in to our conversation and go, I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that feeling in your gut, that butterfly feeling that um, extra pounding in your heart, those kinds of things that, that many of us call our conscience can also be um, related to God. I really, I think, you know, I think God gives us wisdom in a variety of ways and helps us um, to discern good from bad um, that we often call um, a conscience. But I also think that's the Holy Spirit talking to us. Um, you know, I think we know right from wrong. We choose to do wrong sometimes. We're human. God knows that we're human. Um, and I think God expects us to wrestle with those feelings. And so when, when you feel that extra pounding in your heart or that gut-wrenching feeling, I think that's a way that we hear from God. Um, and if we open ourselves and have the right openness, the mentality that God will speak through those little tinges in our, in our self, in our soul. Mm -hmm. And you just have to, to kind of listen for it. Yeah. I think, I think about stuff like that a lot, um, in trying to describe, uh, the inward access, the inward being of God, and then we'll wait. There's an external aspect of God and how do you share that? How do you articulate that with like, like a six-year-old to a mm -hmm. six-year-old? Um, and I think that's a challenge. I think it's can, can be confusing as well that it's, that there is a presence in the being that shapes my life and my choices and my thinking that is both internal and external and trying to share that with another person it must sound crazy for someone who is not at that level. I, I think it's a, it's, it is, um, you know, we are a being that wants concrete. Um, we don't do well with abstract. And I think we often hear from, from people that, that Christianity as a whole or any faith religion can be mocked. It can be, um, questioned because there's not something that is concrete that you can uh, necessarily put your hands on. But I think if we look for those moments with God, if we look for those um, confirmations through different things, um, I'm, a, I'm a big prayer. I, I pray a lot and try to stay in, in that kind of uh, framework, that mindset. And um, I think if we're open to hearing God's voice, then it's there. But if you need, you know, 
solid, concrete examples, you know, look around, look around at beauty, look at the creation and, you know, how did this happen? How did, you know, the creation of another human being even happen? And there has to be a God out there. It has to be something that is ultimately in charge of our lives. Um, I think we're given free will, most definitely. But ultimately, there is somebody somehow in charge of our lives. And and for us as Christians, that's that's God. Um, Our version is, you know, God, the Father, uh, the Holy Spirit, and, you know, the Trinitarian with Jesus. And it's just, for me, it's hard to imagine not having God in my life. But at the same time, I understand how some people just don't get that abstract concept. And putting that into words, like you said, for a six-year-old can be a little tough. Um, But you talk about creation and how things have been created, how certain moments have happened. And I think that's a way to, to help people understand. I enjoy having these kinds of conversations and um, we're just kind of scratching the surface in terms of a theological Mm. discussion, but I want to broaden it a bit. And in terms of the church and the church's mission and the church's message, what are we getting right? And what is the church missing? And you have a unique perspective as a director of congregational ministries. So I'm interested in your take of what the church is getting right in 2021, 2022, the last couple of years, and what are we missing in terms of reaching others and uh, sharing good news in a time when good news is always needed? I, I think the church is doing a lot of things right. Um, they're embracing people that come into the congregations um, as as they find the congregations. Um, I think we're very generous in our giving um, to different things. And, you know, I think we're seeking the will of God as well as we can within congregations. You know, we're in we're in some tough times right now. A lot of things have changed. And so we have a lot of congregations that are looking at a new focus um, post-pandemic. Churches that have never thought about using Facebook are now on Facebook. Um, churches that have that are rural that are now um, videoing their services and that kind of thing. We're taking communion to to people and leaving it outside their doors. Um, I think we're becoming an innovative group of people that are responding to the needs that have been created because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I would say that many of the things that our churches have done to to move forward in the last two years never would have happened had we not had the pandemic. And so I do think we're responding well. Um, but I do think the church is missing a few things too. Um, you know, I talked about being still and, and knowing God. And I think sometimes our churches in general get too busy 
And we're too busy doing the busy work of the church when if perhaps we just stop for a moment and and think about what is it that God really wants us to be doing. Um, the first and foremost, I think, is, you know, loving one another unconditionally and unapologetically. We as a church, the Cumberland Church in particular, are spending way too much time arguing on different issues. Um, when I, I really think that in the in the scheme of things, I wonder if if it's something that's really that important to God. Um, you know, Christ calls us to love one another and to lift up one another and not tear each other down. And if I was an outsider looking in, I would think, man, these people talk about the love of God and, and the love of Christ, but yet we're tearing each other apart. We're saying that people are, are not worthy of, of serving God. And, and we don't have necessarily that right to, to do that. And I think if we could focus on loving one another and wholeheartedly, not the ifs, ands, or buts, but just loving one another, that's something that we need to work on. Um, and these other things that we are doing right, it would just only, it would be such a blessing and not detract uh, from the things that we are doing right. Have you seen a congregation or how would you advise a congregation to let go of some of the busy work? And how, how would you advise a congregation and its leadership to exhibit the love of God so that others may know and profess a faith? Well, not trying to promote engage, but engage actually helps a congregation uh, move forward through this process, um, through discussion, discernment, um, discovery, those kinds of things. Being able to have someone lead a congregation or even just the leaders of a congregation through um, a discernment process, but and people say, well, what exactly is a discernment process? Because that's a huge word um, for people that may not be in church. And it's it's basically a reflective process where you go below the surface. Um, you, you find out the deeper uh, theological thoughts, maybe your own thoughts um, regarding the church as a whole. Um, you're, you're incredibly honest in that. And I think if if a, a congregation is sitting, being vulnerable to the will of God, to hear God speak to them through this process, then they can move forward. Um, they, they will hear God speak to them, but we have to stop and listen. And a way to do that is, is to ask these important questions of, you know, what what is the motivator? What is the mission of that church, that congregation? Why are we here? Why are we serving God in the way that we are? Um, how are we modeling Christ in our behaviors? Those kind of questions, those what we call big questions in, in life. And 
when you can figure out the answer to those questions, that's a discernment process. That's that's a way to to kind of cleanse that process and, and bring forth then the will of God, because all of you together have witnessed this movement together and you and you hear this and you think, OK, now what do we do? And sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes you don't always get that answer right away. But when you do, if you do anything and everything with the understanding that you're loving one another, then you've then I think you're reflecting uh, the love of God and and the and the will of God in modeling Christ-like behavior. And things that have impacted your your relationship with God are are there books or the movies in your life that uh, you've watched recently or read long ago that are impacting your faith and, and your journey? You know, I thought about that for a long time uh, because needless to say right now, I, I don't have a lot of time outside of work and I'm, I'm going to school um, mm. as well. And we can touch on that in a minute if we want to, but I think back to my childhood um, and one of the the neatest books that I read and watched the movie was Corey Ten Boom, um, The Hiding Place. And she and her family hid several um, Jewish people in an attempt to to save them and, and those who were friends of, of the Jewish people. And I watched that movie when I was probably nine or ten. And it was it was really a situation that helped broaden my horizons towards the persecution of, of people in general. And I think it, it helped me to understand that, you know, we all love God, no matter what our faith is, that no one, no certain group of people should be shunned or killed for their beliefs. You know, history, we have a, several dings in our history, and this is one of them. And to me, it was it was life changing for me. This little girl in Iowa that, you know, it's it's ninety nine percent white um, average income folks that there is a world out there bigger than us um, as individuals and that there are people that are going to be different than we are. And knowing that groups can be persecuted, and that was huge to me to realize that. And it, I think, it shaped my formation in faith that never would I want to be a part of a group that's persecuting another group. And another one that uh, a movie that we that we watched um, as a kid. Actually, I was a teen. We raised the money to get the old. Um, movie reel and the projector that we rented from the local library to watch. I mean, we're talking, we're dated here, you know, yeah, um, yeah. this is You're showing in, your age. <laughs> yes. I know back in the eighties. Okay. Um, we watched the trilogy of the left behind series. And to me, I know what the, the impact was supposed to be for, for these movies. I mean, you've got your, um, Revelation series coming up and stuff. But 
but it helped me personally to realize that scare tactics and literally scaring the hell out of someone is not the way to win people to Christ. Um, for me, I think it's our actions. It's showing people that we have to love one another. Um, and, and I keep coming back to that, but I think that's so important because if, if we, if we aren't wearing a sign that says, Hey, I'm a Christian, um, our actions are what people see. And in my um, home church in the basement, there was a sign that said, be careful. You may be the only Bible your friend ever reads. And that hung there for years and it may even still be there, but reading that and thinking about that and the actions that we portray as Christians are so telling. And if we're not acting Christ-like, that is the perception that somebody receives. Mm. And so I do think that we, we are the billboard. We are the spokesperson for our faith. Uh, individually and collectively. And so I think, you know, just, just looking at that, it's not the movies that say you have to make a decision right here and now. And, you know, are you going to be left behind as the, the series tells us instead, let's, you know, let's model that love of Christ. Hmm. So I haven't read anything other than my school books recently. So <laughs> Yeah, let's talk for a moment about uh, you're back in school. What are you studying? Yes, um, actually, I am crossed my fingers. I am going to be finished and graduate from Bay Path University uh, with a second master's in May. And that master's is um, nonprofit management and philanthropy with a certificate in strategic fundraising. Um, I'm been doing a lot of classes in fund development and donor um, appreciation, donor motivation, that kind of thing. Um, and this is after my my first year evaluation. Um, my team leader Milton Ortiz he asked me if I'd ever thought about going back to school, and I'm like, no way. I'm you know I'm over fifty. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, um, so. He put the seed in my in my mind, and I eventually decided to to look at this um, program, and it has been so helpful. And I I truly hope that it will be beneficial also to the ministry council and into the greater church as as a whole. Um, I hope to be a resource for nonprofit, um, just nonprofit in general, um, because. I can help a, a church with, you know, their, their fund management, things like that. I can help with um, assessments of churches and different things like that. So it's been a, an interesting time. Um, I think I'm probably the oldest in most of my classes, but it's, it's been wonderful. Um, you know, when we went to Bethel, the older students would be called adult learners. Well, I think I'm a senior adult learner, um, <laughs> but it, it taught me that you're never too old uh, to learn more. And I think if, if we all could continue to learn, um, hmm. you know, life is an education. And so um, 
with this degree, I, I hope that it will only benefit the church at large um, and that God will give me new gifts to to share with others. And you finish in May. In, well, actually, not that I'm counting the days. It's April 22nd that I'm done with my coursework. <laughs> so <laughs> graduation's in May. <laughs> Christy, if um, someone wanted to know more about Engage and they wanted to know more about congregational ministries, ecumenical ministries, um, where could they get that information? How can they reach out to you? They can uh, reach out via our website, which is um, www.cpcmc.org, or they can call the center, and my extension is 263, and uh, I can visit with them. Uh, they can email me. That That's on the website, too, as well, and um, then I'm only a phone call away after we connect, and of course, I'm on social media as well. With um, Facebook, we have a page for not only our missions ministry team, but congregational ministries as well. So there's a variety of ways that you can get in touch with me. Christy, I have enjoyed this so much. We've known each other for quite some time. (laughs) Yes. And um, this is the first time I kind of, well, I learned about your background and, and what led up to you becoming the director of congregational ministries. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Cumberland Road podcast. Grab a friend and travel with me on the next journey down Cumberland Road.